Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts book Chesapeake Blue Chapter 4. She made up her mind quickly as well. Drew thought as she parked back out of the pub's lot and she had Seth Quinn pegged, a confident man and a talented one. Each aspect probably fed into the other. The fact that his rough edges managed to have a sheen of polish was intriguing, something she was certain he knew very well and used very well. He was attractive, the lean, lanky build that looked as though it had been designed to wear those worn-out jeans. All that burnished blonde hair, straight as a pen and never quite styled, the hollow cheeks, the vivid blue eyes, not just vivid in color, she thought now, intensity, the way he looked at you, as if you saw something no one else could see, something you couldn't see yourself, it managed to be flattering, jolting, and just a bit off-putting all at once. It made you wonder about him, and if you were wondering about a man, you were thinking about him. Women, she concluded, were like paints on a palette to him. He could dab into any of them as a, at, a, at his whim, the way he'd been snuggled up with the blonde in the bar. A little play, she noted, the instant she herself had walked in, was a case in point. Then there'd been the way he smiled at the waitress, the, termin the terminally foolish Terry, wide, warm, and friendly, with just a hint of intimacy, very potent, that smile, drew muse, but it wasn't going to work on her. Men who bounced from woman to woman because they could they could, were entirely too ordinary for her taste. Yet here she was, she admitted, driving back to the shop to show him the second floor apartment when what she really wanted to do was go home to her lovely quiet house. It was a sensible thing to do, of course. There was no point in the space staying empty, but it galled that he... But it galled that he assumed she'd take the time and trouble simply because he wanted her to. There was no problem finding a parking space now. It was barely nine on a cold spring evening, but the waterfront was all but deserted. A few boats moored, swaying in the current, a scatter of people, most likely tourists, strolling under the light of a corner moon. Oh, how she loved the waterfront. She nearly howled with glee when she'd been able to snag the building for her shop knowing she would be able to step outside any time of the day and see the water, the crabbers, the tourists, to feel that moist air on her skin, even more to feel part of it all on her own merits, her own terms. It would have been smarter, more sensible again, to have taken the room above her own living quarters, but she made the constituous and deliberate decision to not, not to live where she works which Drew admitted as she swung away from market to drive to the rear of the building, had been a handy excuse to find a place out of the town bustle, someplace on the water again, and indulge space all her own. The house in Georgetown had never felt all her own. The house in Georgetown had never felt all her own. She killed the lights, the engine, and gathered her purse. Seth was there, opening her door, or she'd do it for herself. It's pretty dark. Watch your step. He took her arm, starting to steer to the wooden staircase that led to the second level. I can see fine. Thanks. She eased away from him, then opened her bag for the keys. There's parking, she began, and a private entrance, as you see. Yeah, I see I see fine, too. Listen, halfway up the stairs, he had a little hand on her arm to stop her. Just listen. <laughs> he said again and looked out over the house, that line, the road behind him great, isn't it? She could, couldn't stop the smile. He understood it perfectly. And it was great, that silence. It won't be this quiet in a few weeks. He's getting the dark. The houses, the lawns. Again, she thought he saw what others didn't. Starting with Memorial Day, the tourists and the summer people pour in. Nights get longer, warmer, and people hang out. That can be great too, all that noise, holiday noise. The kind you hear when you've got an ice cream cone in your hand and no time clock and ticking away in your head. He turned, aimed those strong blue eyes at her. She could have sworn she got a joke from them that was elementarily physical. You like ice cream cones? He asked her. There'd be something wrong with me if I did it. She moved quickly up the rest of the steps. 
Nothing wrong with you, he murmured and stared with his thumbs tucked in her front pockets while she unlocked the door. She flicked the switch on the wall to turn on the lights, then deliberately left the door open at his back when he stepped in. So immediately she didn't have didn't have to bother. He wasn't giving her a thought now. He crossed to the front windows first, and they're looking in that hip shot stance that managed to be both relaxed and attentive and sexy. She decided he wore a pair of ragged jeans with more style than a great many men managed to achieve in $5,000 suits. There were paint flecks on his shoes. She blinked her back into the moment when he began to mutter, Excuse me? What? Oh, what? Oh, just calculating the lights on angle stuff. Crossed back to the rear window, stood as he had at the front, muttered as he had at the front, talked to himself. Drew noted, well, it was so, uh, wasn't so odd, really. She held entire conversations with herself in her head. The kitchen, it doesn't matter. Rounded, he stared up at the ceiling, his gaze so intense and focused. She found herself staring up with him for a few seconds of standing there, silent, stared up, she felt ridiculous. Is there a problem with the ceiling? I was assured the roof was sound, and I know it doesn't like, uh-huh, any objection to skylights putting in my expense. I, well, I don't know, I suppose it'll work. He wanted the room. He wanted the room again, placing his canvases, his paints, his, his sizzle, the work table for sketching, shelves for supplies and equipment. He put in a sofa or a bed. He thought better a bed in case he wanted wound late enough to just flop down for the night. It's a good space, incidentally. With the skylights, it'll work. I'll take it. She reminded herself that she hadn't actually agreed to the skylights, but then again, she couldn't find any reason to object to them. That was quick. She asked, advertised, don't you want to see the kitchen in the back? They got everything kitchens and bathrooms are supposed to have. Yes, no time, just a shower. I'm not planning on taking too many bubble baths. We moved back to the front one of a prime view. Yes, it's very nice. Not that it's any of my business, but I assume you have any number of places you can stay while you're here. Why do you need an apartment? I don't want to live here. I want to work here. I need a studio space. Turn back. I'm bunking at Kim and Anna's, and that suits me. I'll create a place of my own eventually, but not until I find exactly what I want. Besides, I'm not visiting St. Chris. I'm back for good. I see. Well, studio space then, which explains the skylights. I'm a better bet than Terry, he said before he felt her, because he felt her hesitation. No loud parties or shouting matches, and she's famous for, and I'm handy. Are you? Hauling, lifted, basic maintenance. I won't come crying to you every time the faucet trips. Points for you, she murmured. How many do I need? I really want the space. I need to get back to work, which, what do you say to a six-month lease? Six months? I planned on a full year at a time. Six months gives us both an early out if it's not jealous. First, her lips in consideration. Where is that? How much are you asking? She gave him the monthly rate. She settled on. I want first and last month's rent when you sign the lease and another month's at rent as a security deposit. Ouch. Very strict. Now she's not. Terry annoyed me. You get to pay the price. Won't be the first time she scoffs me. I'll have it for you tomorrow. I've got a family thing on Sunday. And I have to order the skylights, but I like to stop moving things in right away. That's fine. She liked the idea of him painting over a shop, knowing the building that was hers was fulfilling his its potential. Congratulations, he said in offer. You got yourself a studio. Thanks. He took her hand, held it, ringless, he thought again, long fairy fingers, and I'm picking up. Give it any thoughts of posing for me? No. His <laughs> wind flashed at her flat, precise and I'll talk you into it. I'm not easily swayed. Let's clear this all up before we start on what should be a mutual, satisfying business relationship. Okay, let's. You have a strong, beautiful face. As an artist, as a man, I'm drawn to the qualities, strength, and beauty. The artist wants to translate them. The man wants to enjoy them. So I'd like to paint you, and I'd like to spend time with you. Despite the breeze that danced through the open door, she felt entirely too alone with him. Alone and boxed him by the way he held her hand and held her hands. I'm sure you'd have your quote of women to translate and enjoy, such as the buxom blonde and black 
You were crazy out with at the bar. Who? I younger exploded on his face. It was true thought like light burst into shadows. Like some blonde and black. Peter seen it. Oh Jesus, she loved that. That'll be no living with her. That was Aubrey. Aubrey Quinn, my brother Ethan's oldest daughter. I see. Then it made her feel like an idiot. Didn't seem to be a particular abigail relationship. I don't feel like her uncle was more of a big brother thing. She was two when I came to St. Chris. We fell for each other. Aubrey's the first person I ever loved. Absolutely, she's got strengths and beauty too, and I've certainly translated and enjoyed them, but not quite in the same way I'd like to use yours. Then you're going to be disappointed, even if I were interested. I don't have time to pose, and I don't have the inclination to be enjoyed. You're very attractive, Seth. And if I were going to be shallow, yeah, another brilliant. Another brilliant flashman must be shallow. Sorry. But it tends to tease the smile out of anyways. I gave it up. If I were going to be, I might enjoy you. But as it stands, we're going to settle for the practical. We can start there. Now, since you asked me a question earlier, I got to ask you one. Alright, what? Saw, by the way, her face turned closed in and wary that she was braced for something personal she wouldn't care to answer so he should hear you like seeing crabs she stared at him for nearly 10 seconds and gave him the pleasure of washing her face for that yes i like seeing crabs good we'll have some on our first date i'll be by in the morning to sign a lease he added as he walked to the room. the morning's fine he looked down as she leaned over locked the door behind him neck was long and elegant, the contrast between it and the severed cut of the dark hair was sharp and dramatic. Without thinking, he skimmed a finger along the curve, just to sample the texture. She froze, so that for one instant they made a portrait of themselves. The woman in the rich collared suit slightly bent toward a closed door, and the man rough clothes with fingertips at the nap of her neck. She straightened with a quick jerk of movement and said, let his hand go, sorry irritating habit of mine you have any yeah i'm afraid so that one wasn't anything personal you got a really nice line back there <laughs> shook his hand in his pocket so it wouldn't become personal not yet i'm, a, I'm an expert on lines nice for otherwise she breezed by him. i'm an expert on lines nice for otherwise she breezed by him and down said, hey y'all i've got better lines than that one i just bet you do I'll try some out on you, but in the meantime, he opened her car door. Is there any storage space? Utility room there, suggested toward the door and so such. Furnace and water heater, that sort of thing. And some storage. If I not, if I not, if I need to, can I stick some stuff in there until I got the space worked out? I've got some things coming in from Rome. We'll probably be here Monday. I don't have a problem with that. The keys inside the shop remind me to keep see you tomorrow. Appreciate it. He closed the door for her when she climbed in and knocked on the window. You know, he said when she rolled down the window, I like spending time with a smart, self-confident woman who knows what she wants and goes out and gets it. Like you got this place. Very sexy. That kind of direction and dedication. Wait a minute. That was a line. She kept her eyes on his as she rolled the glass up between their faces again, and she didn't let herself chuckle until she drove him away. The best thing about Sundays, in true opinion, was waking up slowly, then clinging to the half-dream state while the sunlight shivered through the trees, slid through the windows, and danced on her closed lid. Sundays were known absolutely nothing, knowing the absolutely nothing had to be done, and countless things could be. She made coffee and toasted a bagel in her own kitchen, then had her breakfast in the little dining room while she lifted through catalogs for business. She puttered around the garden she planted with her own hands, thank you, while listening to music. There was no charity luncheon, no community drive, no obligation family dinner, a tennis match at the country club, cluttering up her Sundays now. There was no martial no marital spat between her parents to referee and no hurt feelings and sorrowful looks because she each felt she'd taken the side of the other and all there was was Sunday and her lazy enjoyment of it. And all the months she'd lived here, she never once taken that for granted, nor had she lost a drop of the flood of pleasure it gave her to stand and look out her own windows. She did so now. 
opening the window to cool the morning. From there, she could admire her own private curve of the river. There were no houses seated in the way to make her think of people when she only wanted to be. There was the speculative leaves of the liverwort she planted under the shade of oaks, its buds of cherry pink, and lily of the valley with its bells already dancing, and there, the marsh grass and rushes, the little clearing she made for the golden yellow irises that liked their feet wet. She could hear the birds, the breeze, the occasional plop of a fish or a frog. Forgetting breakfast, she wandered to the house, to the front door, so she could stand on the veranda and just look. She wore the boxes, boxers and tanks she'd slept in, and there was no one to comment on the senator's granddaughter's disability. No reporter or photographer was looking for squib for the social page. There was only lovely, lovely peace. She picked up her watering can and carried it inside to fill while she started the coffee. Seth Quinn had been right about one thing, she thought. She was a woman who knew what she wanted and went out and got it. Perhaps it had taken her some time to realize what that thing was, but when she had, she'd done what needed to be done. She wanted to run a business where she could feel creative and happy, and she'd been determined to be successful in her own right. She toured with the idea of a small nursery or garden service, but she wasn't fully conf- confident in her skills there. Her gardening ventures had been largely confined to her little courtyard in Georgetown and potted plants. While she'd been very proud of her efforts there and delighted with the results, hardly qualified her as an expert. But she knew flowers. She wanted a small she wanted a small town where the pace was easy and the demands few, and she wanted the water. She always been pulled to the water. She loved the look of St. Christopher's, the cheerful tidiness of it and the ever-changing tones and moods of the bay. She liked listening to the clang from the channel markers and the throaty call of a foghorn when mist rolled in. She got accustomed to and nearly comfortable with the casual friendliness of the locals and the good-heartedness that had sent Ethan Quinn over to check on her during a storm that previous winter. No, she'd never live in the city again. Her parents would have to continue to adjust the distance she put between them, geographically and emotionally. In the end, she was certain it was best for everyone involved. Just now, however selfish it might be, she was more concerned with what was best for Trusilla. She turned off the tap and after sampling the coffee, carried it in the watering can outside to tend to her pots. Eventually, she thought she would add a greenhouse so that she could experiment with growing her own flowers to sell, but she'd have to be convinced she could add the structure without spoiling the facial lines of her home. She loved its peaks and foolishness, foolishly ornate gingerbread trim. Most would consider it the kind of folly with its fancy work and deep blue color out here among the thickets and marsh, but to her, it was a statement. Home could be exactly where you need it, exactly what you needed it to be, if you wanted it enough. She set her coffee down on the table and drenched a Jernarian bursting with Reverian Hillotrop and a rustle. She looked over and watched her hair rise like a king over the high grass, over the brown water. I'm happy, she said out loud. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. She decided to forego the bagel and catalogs and change into gardening clothes instead. For an hour, she worked on the sunny side of the house where she was determined to establish a combination of shrubbery and flower bed. The blooded, the blood-red blooms of the Virginia she planted the week before would be a strong contrast to the blue of the house once they burst free. She spent every evening for a month over the winter planting her, planting her flowers. She wanted to keep it simple and a little wild like a mad cottage garden with Clobamine and Demeruthians and sweet-faced wallflowers all tumbled together. There were all kinds of art. She stopped smugly as she planted Frank Woodstock. She imagined Seth would approve of her choices of tone and texture here. Not that it mattered, of course. The garden was to tease herself. But a satisfying thing an artist might find her efforts created. Certainly hadn't had much to say for himself the day before, she remembered. He whipped in just after she opened the doors, handed over the agreement amount, looped his signature on the lease, snatched up key, then bolted. No flirtation, no persuasive smile, which was all for the best, she reminded herself. She didn't want flirtations and persuasions right at the moment. So it would have been nice on some level to imagine holding the option for them in reserve. In reserve. Probably had a Saturday morning date with one of the women, 
You pined for him while he'd been gone. You looked like the type of woman you might pine for. All that scruffy hair, that lanky build, and the hands. How could you not notice his hands? Wide of palm, long of finger, with a rough elegance to them that made a woman, some women, she could actually fantasize about being stroked by them. Drew sat back on her heels with a sigh because she knew she'd given just that scenario more than one passing thought. Only because it's the first man you've been attracted to in God knows how long. She hadn't had so much as a date in nearly a year. Her choice reminded herself when she wasn't going to change her mind and end up with Seth Clinton steam crabs. She would she'd just go on as she was, making her home, running her business, while he went about his and painted over her head every day. She'd get used to him being up there, then she'd stop noticing he was up there. When the lease was up, they'd see him. Damn it, the key to the utility room. She forgot to give it to him. Well, he forgot the reminder to give it to him. Not my problem. She thought he ain't the stray weed. He's the one who wanted to use the storage, and if he hadn't been in such a hurry to go, she wouldn't she would have remembered to give him the key. She planted Cranceville, added some laxmer, then cursing and pushed her feet. It would nag at her all day. She obsessed. She admitted as she stalked around the house, she'd worry and wonder about whether whatever it was he had come in and from Rome the next day, easier by far to take the duplicate she had here at home, drive over to Anna Quinn's and drop it off. Wouldn't take more than 20 minutes, and she could go by the nursery while she was out. She left her gardening gloves and tools in the backseat of the veranda. Seth grabbed the line, Ethan tossed them, and secured the wooden boat to the dock. The kids leaped out first, Emily with her long dancer's body and sunflower hair, and Deke Ganglius puppy at 14. Seth caught Deke in a headlock and looked at him when you weren't supposed to grow up while I was gone. Couldn't help it. She laid her cheek on his, rubbed it there. Welcome home. What do we eat? Deke wanted to know. Guy's got a tapeworm. Aubrey leaped nibbling on the dog. He ate damn near half a loaf of French bread five minutes ago. I'm a grown boy. So I'm going to charm Anna out of something. He actually thinks he's a charmer, Emily said with a shake of her head. It's a mystery. <laughs> the Chester's Kabeek Bay Retriever, even called Nigel, landed in the water with a happy splash and bounded up on shore. We're after you. Give me a hand with this, M, since the jerk's off and running. Offrey grabbed one into the cooler. Ethan had sat on the dock. Mom may water up, she said, sat under her breath. She's really anxious to see you. Seth stepped on. Seth stepped to the boat, held out his hand, and closed around Grace's. If Aubrey had been the first person he loved, Grace had been the first woman he both loved and trusted. Her arms slid around him as she stepped on the dock, and her cheek rubbed his with the same female sweetness as Emily's had. There now, she said quietly on a laughing side. There now, that feels just right. Now everything's where it belongs. <laughs> She leaned back to Anna. Thank you for the tulips. They're beautiful. I'm sorry I wasn't home. So was I. I figured I'd trade them for some of your homemade fries. So make the best. Come to dinner tomorrow. I'll fix some for you. Sloppy joke. She left again. Reached back with one hand and take the Well, that had to change hatchet. What sloppy joke? Dick will be thrilled. And chocolate cake? Guy expects a lot for a bunch of flowers. Ethan commented. At least I didn't swipe them from Anna's garden. Then try to blame it on innocent deer and bunny rabbits. Ethan winced. Sent a weary look toward the house to make sure Anna wasn't within hearing distance. Let's now bring that up again. Damn near 20 years ago and she'll still scout me for it. I heard you got them from the very pretty florists on Market Street. Grace tucked her arm around such waist as they walked to the house. And that you rented the place above the shop for stirred the studio. Words rivals. Fast and wide, Griskin, why don't you tell me all about it? Nothing to tell you, but I'm working on it. She was running behind now, and it was her own fault. There was no reason, no sane reason, she felt compelled to shower, to change out of her grubbly garden clothes. Certainly no reason, she thought it. Irritated with herself to have spent on her precious Sunday fussing with makeup. <laughs> no. Now it was past noon. Didn't make, didn't matter. She told herself it was a lovely day for a drive. She spent two minutes on Seth's Quinn in the key, then indulged herself at the nursery. 
course now she'd have to change back into her gardening clothes, but that was neither here nor there. She'd plant, then make fresh lemonade, and sit and bask in the glow of a job well done. Fill the air, brisk with spring, moist from the water, the fields on either side of the road were tilled and planted and already running green in the rows. She could smell the sharp edge of fertilizer and richer tones of earth that meant spring in the country. She made the turn, caught the glint of the sun off the mud flats behind before the trees took over with their deep shadows. The old white house was perfect for its setting, edged by woods with water hem in its back, and the tiny flower decked lawn skirted its front. She admired it before, the way it sat there, so cozy and comfortable with its front porch rockers and faded blue shutters. While she felt the whimsy and the privacy of her own home suited her perfectly, she could admire the character of the Gwen place, gave a sense of order without legitimation. The kind of home she reflected where feet were allowed to prop on coffee tables. No one would have to dream to rest the hill on her mother's release. The seventeenth, not even her father. The number of cars in the drive made her frown. A white Corvette vintage, she assumed, a sturdy SUV of some sort that appeared to have some hard miles on it, a snappy little convertible, a dented, disreputable-looking hatchback that had been twenty years old, a manly pickup truck, and a sleek and muscular Jaguar. She hesitated to initially assign vehicles. The SUV was the family car. The Veta was undoubtedly former race car driver Cameron Quinn's, as would be the truck's work vehicle. Given Anna the convertible and the old hand-me-down to the oldest boy who must be old enough to drive, the Jack was Seth. She noticed it with some admiration, but not before. If she hadn't, she'd heard all about his recent acquisition from chatty customers in her shop. She knows up behind it. Two minutes remind herself to grab her purse that she turned off the engine. Instinctively, she heard the blast of music. The teenager, she figured, as she started toward the front door, her steps unconsciously timed to the beat of Matchbook 20. She admired the pots and tubs of flowers on the porch. Anna, she knew, had a clever hand for mixing flowers. She knocked briskly and bumped it up to a pound before she sighed. No one was going to hear her over that music, even if she used the battery room. Resigned, she stepped off the porch and started toward the side of the house. She heard more of the music now. There were shouts, squeals, and what she could only describe as manic laughter. The kids must be having a party. She just got back, passed off the key to She'll just go out back, pass out the key to one of Anna's boys, and be in her way. The dog came first, a cannonball, black fur, with a lolling tongue. He had a bark like a machine gun, and though she was very fond of dogs, she stopped on down. Hi there. Ah, nice dog. Seemed to take that as an invitation to race two wild circles around her, then press his nose to her crotch. Okay, she put a fur hand on her jaw, looking. That's just a little too friendly. She gave him a quick rub. Then a nudge and managed one more step before the boy streaked screaming around the side of the house. Though he held a large plastic weapon in his hand, he was in full retreat. He managed to be around a better run and puffed out an instant before she saw a flash of movement out of the corner of her eye. An instant before she was shot dead in the heart by a stream of cold water. The shock was so great that her mouth dropped open, but she couldn't manage the sound. Just behind her, the boy undeserted the field. Seth, the water rifle in hand, his hair driven from the previous attack, took one look at true. Oh, shit. Helpless, Drew looked down. Her crisp red shirt and navy pants were soaked. The splatter had managed to reach her face, making the time she spent feeling worth it completely a waste. She lifted her gaze, one that turned from stunned to searing. She noted that Seth looked very much like a man struggling not to laugh. Are you crazy? Sorry, really. He swallowed hard, knowing the laugh, fighting, knowing the laugh, fighting to burst out of his throat would be damn sorry. Damn Sorry, he managed as well. I was after Jake. Little bastard nailed me. He got caught in a crossfire. He tried a charming smile, dug a bandana out of the back of his pocket. Which proves there are no innocent bystanders and more. Which proves, she said between her teeth, that some men are idiots who can't be trusted with a child's toy. Hey, hey, this is a Super Soaker 5000. He looked at the water gun, but caught catching the glimmer eyes as an ornament.
anyway, I'm really sorry. How about a beer? You can take your beer and your super sugar 5,000 at sex and around the house and let out. He's like, you moron. Jake, he said on her revival. Anna, we were just quiet. She jabbed a finger at him. And drives an arm around your shoulder. I apologize for the idiot children. You poor thing. We'll get you inside and into some dry clothes. No, really, I'll just. I insist. Anna interrupted, herded her toward the front of the house. What a greeting. I'd say things aren't usually so crazy around here, but I'd be lying. Keeping a firm hand on Drew, Anna knew when someone was poised for escape, she guided her into the house and up the stairs. A little crazy today as the whole gang's here. A welcome home for Seth. The guys are about. To boil up some crabs, we can stay. I couldn't intrude. Her temper was rapidly sliding toward embarrassment. I just stopped by to drop off the utility room key for Seth. I really should have some dry clothes, some food, some white. And I said, well, make Kevin's jeans out of work. She pulled a blue cotton shirt out of her own closet. I'll just see if I can find a pair in the black coat of his room. <laughs> it's just a little water. You should be down with your family. I should go. Honey, you're soaked and you're shivering. Now get out of those wet things. We'll toss them in the dryer while we eat. I'll just be giving it. With this, she strode out and left Drew alone in the bedroom. The woman hadn't seemed so formidable. Drew decided on her visits to the flower shop. She wondered if anyone ever won an argument with her. The truth was, she was chilled. Given up, she stripped off the wet shirts, gave a little sigh, and took off the equally wet draw. She was just buttoned up when Anna came back in. She offered her a pair of Levi's shirt. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Thank you. Just bring your wet things down in the kitchen when you're ready. She started out again and turned back. Andrew, welcome to Bedlam. Close, close enough, Drew thought. She could hear the shouts and laughter, the blast of music through the open window. It seemed to her, to her half of St. Christopher's must be partnering in the Quinn's backyard, but when she snuck a peek, she realized the noise was generated by the Quins all by themselves. They were teenagers of varying sizes and sexes running around, and two, no, three dogs, make that four, she noted as an enormous retriever bounded out of the water, raced over the lawn, and shaped drops on as many people as possible. The young boy Seth had been chasing was doing precisely the same thing. Obviously, Seth had managed to catch up with him. Boats were tied to the dock, which explained, she supposed, why the number of cars in the drive didn't match the number of picnickers. The Quins sailed. It was also loud, wet, and messy. They were also loud, wet, and messy. The scene below was nothing like any of her parents' outdoor social events or family gatherings. The music would have been classical and muted. The conversation would have been calm and order, and the tables would have been meticulously set with some sort of clever theme. Her mother was brilliant with themes and de de dedicated her precious wish precise wishes to the caterer who knew how to deliver. She wasn't certain she knew how to socialize, even briefly, in the middle of, of this sort of chaos, but she could handle Hardly do otherwise without being rude. She changed into the Levi's. The boy, Kevin, she thought Anna had said was tall. She had to roll up the legs a couple of times into frayed cuffs. She glanced in the pretty wood frame mirror over the grill and sighing. Took a tissue to deal with the mascara smudges under her eyes, caused by an unexpected shower. She got the rest of her wet things and started downstairs. There was a piano in the living room. It looked ancient and well used. The red lilies she sold Seth stood in a cut crystal vase and top it and spilled their frankwits in the air. The sofa appeared new, the rug old. It was, you thought, very much a family home, with cheerful collars, cozy cushions, a few stray dog hairs, and the female touches of the flowers and candles. Snapshots were scattered here and there, all in different frames. There had been no attempt at coordination, and that was the charm of it, she decided. There were paintings, water, waterscapes, cityscapes, still lives. That was certain were cess. But it was a lovely little pencil sketch that drew her over. It was the rambling white house, flanked by woods, trimmed by water. It said with absolutely simplicity, this is home. And it touched a cord in her that made her yearn. <laughs> Stepping closer, she studied the careful signature in the bottom corner. Such a careful signature, she realized it is a child's even before she read the date printed beneath. He'd drawn it when he was a child, she realized, just a little boy making a picture of his home and already recognized his value already talented and insightful enough to translate that value, that warmth and stability with his pencil. 
helplessly, her heart softened toward him. He might be an idiot with an oversized water pistol, but he was a good man. It art reflected the artist. He was very special man. To follow the sound of voices back into the kitchen. This she recognized me. It was another family center. One captain by a female who took cooking seriously. The long counters were pristine white, making a bright, happy contrast to the candy apple red trim. They were covered with platters and bowls of food. Seth stood with his arm around Anna's shoulder. Their heads were close together. And though she continued to unwrap a bowl, there was a unity in her stance. Love. Drew could feel the flow of it from across the room, the simple, strong, steady flow of it. The din, the din might have continued from outside. People might have winged in and out the back door, but the two of them made a little island of affection. She always been attracted to that kind of connection and found herself smiling at them. Before she could stop it. That would be great. She also been attracted to that kind of attraction. I found her so smiling that the poor woman, that would be Grace, backed out of the enormous refrigerator with yet another platter in her hand. Oh, Drew, here, let me take those. Grace set the bowl aside. Anna sets her, and Drew smiled and then to blackness. Her heart might have softened toward the artist, but she wasn't about to look the idiot off look too easily. Thanks, certainly thankfully, the shirt got the worst of it. I got the worst of it. I tipped his head toward Anna before he said, well, Sorry, really. I don't know how I mistook you for a 13 year old boy. The stare she aimed at him could have frozen a pond at 10 paces. Why don't we just say I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and leave it at that? No, this is the right place. He took her hand, lifted it to his lips, and what she imagined he thought of was a charming gesture. And damn it, it was, and it's always the right time. Gah! That was Jake's opinion as he swung through the back door. Crab's going in, told Dad says for you to get your ass out there now. Jake! Jake said his mother and said, I'm just the messenger. We're starving. Here, Anna stuffed the double egg in his mouth. Now carry this outside and come back without slamming the door and apologize to Drew. Jake made a mumble and noise around the egg and carried the platter outside. It really wasn't his fault. Drew continued. This wasn't something else, but something always is. Can I get you some wine? Yes, thanks. Um, obviously, she wasn't going to be able to escape, and the fact was she was curious about the family that lived in the young artist's pencil sketch. Ah, this is... Ah, this is... Is there something I can do to help? Wrap whatever? Take it out. We'll be feeding the masses shortly. Anna lifted her eyebrows at Seth, grabbed a platter, then pushed the door open for Drew in her bowl of cold salt. Then Anna wiggled her so eyebrows like, hey, we're cute together. They do. I like her. She wanted to the door to spy out with Anna. She's always a little cool at first, then she warms up or relaxes, I guess. She's awful pretty, isn't she? And so polished. <laughs> Money usually puts a glam on you. She's a bit stiff yet, but if this group can't loosen her up, nothing can. Seth's very attractive. So I noticed. Grace turned her head toward Anna. I guess we better find out more about her. Why, that's exactly. She went back to fetch the one. The Quinn brothers were an impressive example of the species individually. As a group, they decided they were staggering. They might have not have shared blood, but they were so obviously fraternal, tall, lanky, handsome, and most of all, male. The quarter... The quartets around the huge steaming pot simply exuded manhood like other men might. A distinctive aftershave. She didn't doubt for a moment that they knew it. They were what they were, she thought, and were pretty damn pleased about it. As a woman, she found that sort of innate self-satisfaction attractive. She respected confidence and a good, healthy ego. When she wandered around to break pit when she went her to the brick pit where they steamed the crabs to deliver a at Anna's request a portion of cold beer, she caught the end of the conversation. As old thinks he's Horatio fucking her horn blower from camp. More like Captain fucking Quid mutter for me than he can be anybody he wants as long as his money's green. Delivered from a shrug about the he built boats for assholes before and more Again, one fuckhead's the same as Seth broke off when he spoke to her. Gentlemen, she never batted an eyelid. Good, 
beat cold beer for hot work. Thanks. Philip took them from her. you're already cooled off once today. Unexpectedly relieved of the bottle, she lifted her wine glass to her lips and sipped. But I prefer this method to the Super Soaker 5000. Ignoring Sessions. Did you catch them? She asked Jessica to reply. She can I, yeah. He ran with Seth Clear, so we took him along for ballasts. He told her, got blisters on his city hands. Couple days in the boat yard might toughen him up. Cam <laughs> speculated. Always was puny, though. You're just trying to insult me, so I'll come in there and do the hot 50 50 work. Set to back to keep dreaming. Puny. Phillips said, but smart. Always was smart. I wonder if I could come in sometime, take a look around at work. Can't tell what it's at with you. Like both do you? Yes, I do. Why don't we go for a sale? Said Astor. She spared him a glance that was on the edge of withering. Keep dreaming. She suggested in store with. Classy. She's a nice girl, Ethan said as he checked the pot. Hot. Cam commented. Very, very hot. You want to cool off? I'll be happy to stick a super soaker 5000 up your ass. Ethan said, though. Got a bead on her. Cam shook his head at it. As if infinite. She looks out of your legs, me too. Yeah. Seth got more beer. I'm a big fan of interleague play. Watch Seth wander off. Our boy's going to be spending a hell of a lot of money on flowers for the next little while. That particular balloon's got some long stems on her. Can't remember. Got careful eyes. He's engaged a traditional queen shoulder grip. I can't find that. Watches everything, including Seth. But it is all one step back, you know. Not because she's shy. The girl isn't shy. She's careful. She comes from big money in politics, but consider his beer. Bound to make you careful. St. Chris is a funny place for her to end up, isn't it? The camp's my family forged you. The family you were born, or the family you made. You wonder how Drews had forged her. She intended to stay no more than an hour, a polite hour while clothes dried, but somehow she was drawn into a conversation with Emily about New York, one with Anna about guardian, guardianing. Then there were the mutual acquaintances with Seville and Philip from D.C., the food was wonderful. When she completed the potato salad, Grace offered her the recipe. Drew wasn't quite sure how to announce that she didn't cook. There were arguments over baseball, clothes, video games. It didn't take her long to realize it was just another kind of interaction. Dogs slid up to the table and they ordered family away. Usually after someone stuck food into a canine mouth, the breeze blew and cooled over the water while as many as six conversations went on at the same time. She kept up. Early training had honed her ability to have something to say to everyone and anyone in social situations. She could comment about boats and baseball, food and music, art and travel. Even when the talk of them in more leaps and swirled around her, she nursed a second glass of wine and stayed for far longer than she intended, not just because she couldn't find a polite way to leave, because she liked them. She was amused by and envious of the intimacy of the family, despite their numbers and the obvious differences. Could sisters be less alike than the sharp-tongued, sports-loving Aubrey and Emily, the waffle lily ballerina? They were all so firmly interlinked, like individual pieces of one big, bold puzzle, she decided. The puzzle of family was fascinating her. Certainly her own continued to remain a mystery to her. However, colorful and cheerful, they seemed on the surface. You imagine the twin puzzle had its share of shadows and complications. Families always did. As did men, she thought, turning her head deliberately to meet Seth's dead-on stare. She was perfectly aware that he watched her almost continuously since they sat down to eat. Oh, he was good at the conversation juggling, too. She gave him that. And from time to time, he turned his attention fully on someone else. But his gaze, that straight-on and vivid blue gaze, was always swing back to her. She could feel it, a kind of heat along her skin. She refused to let it intrigue her, and she certainly wasn't going to let it fluster her. The afternoon lights could hear. His eyes still drew, scooped up a forkful pasta sauce. Maybe we'll do some outdoor work. Got anything with a long, full skirt, strapless, or sleeveless to show off your shoulders? Good, strong shoulders. He added with a nuts, potatoes, pasta, a good with the face.
That's lucky for me, isn't it? She dismissed him with a slight wave of her hand from the spill. I enjoyed your last documentary very much. The studies and examples of blended family dynamics. I suppose you based some of your findings on your book, on your own experiences. Hard to get away from it. I could study this bunch for the next couple of decades and never run out of material. We're all mom's guinea pigs. She understated as she handed pig out another crap. Better watch out. You hang out around here. Seth's had you naked on a canvas, and mom will have you analyzed in a book. Oh, I don't know. Aubrey dressed with a ring. Anna Crawford hung around here for months, and Seth never painted her naked or otherwise. I don't think Sabille ever wrote about her either. Unless I missed the one about socially placid placement of brainless bimbos. She wasn't brainless, Seth put it. She called you Sethy. I said, oh, Sethy, you're a regular Michael D'Angelo. When we start trotting out some of the guys you hung out with a few years back, Matt Fisher, for instance. I was young and shallow. Yeah, you're old and deep now. Anyway, you shifted that dirt to gaze again. Got a long, flowy thing? Little top? No. We'll get something. Drew sipped the last of her wine, so that her head slightly indicated her. Has anyone ever reclined to be painted by you? No, not really. Let me be the first. He'll <laughs> do it any. He'll do it anyway. Cam told her kids got a head like a brick. And that comes from the most flexible, most reasonable, most accommodating offense. And <laughs> declared I sure. Anybody got room for dessert? They did though. Drew didn't see how. She declined offers of cakes, pies, but lost the battle of wheels over a double fudge brownie that she nibbled on before changing back into her own clothes. She wore the borrowed shirt and jeans, set them on the bed, took one last look around the cozy bedroom, and then started down. Drew stopped short in the kitchen doorway when she spotted Anna and Cam in front of the sink and embraced a great deal more torrid than she expected from parents of teenagers. Let's go upstairs and lock the door. Drew heard him say and wasn't sure where to look when she noted Cam's hand slid around possessively the screen of his wife's back. No one will miss us. That's what she said after dinner last Thanksgiving. There was both warm and fun in her voice when Anna linked her arms around Cam saying, You were wrong. It was just jealous because he didn't think of it first. Later, Quinn, if you behave. I'm not just let you. Oh, Drew. From the easy burns on their faces, Drew concluded she was the only one of the trio who was the least bit embarrassed. I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to thank you for the hospitality. I really enjoyed the afternoon. Good. <laughs> then you'll come again. Cam, let Seth know Drew's leaving, will you? I'm damned if she didn't get his buttock squeeze before he's an hour long. Don't bother. You have a wonderful family, a beautiful home. I appreciate you letting me share them today. I'm glad you dropped by. And the second Cam a silent signal as she laid an arm over her shoulder to walk her to the front door. The key, shaking her head. Drew dug into her purse. I completely forgot the reason I came by in the first place. Would you give this to Seth? He can store whatever he needs to in there for the time being. We'll work out the details later. Anna heard the kitchen door. You might as well give it to him yourself. Come back, she said. Then gave Drew a quick, casual kitchen kick. Taking off? <laughs> a little winded, Seth hurried up the kitchen. Drew on the front porch. Why don't we stay? Albert's getting a softball game together. I have to get home. The key. She held it out while he only stood looking at it. Utility room? Storage? Yeah, yeah. He took it stuff in his Listen, it's early, but if you want to split, you can go somewhere. Drive or something. I have things to do. She walked toward the car. We'll have to drive for less of the crowd on our second date. She paused, looked back at him a little bit. We haven't had a first date yet. Sure we did. Steam crabs. Just as prediction. You get to pick the menu and venue for date number two. She jiggled the car keys in her hand. He turned the face up. I came by to give you the key, got blasted with a water gun, and had a crab fest with your large extended family. That doesn't make this a date. This will. He had a, he had a smooth move. So smooth she never saw it coming. Maybe she had. She'd had a baby. Or maybe not. But that wasn't the issue as his hands were cupped on her shoulders and his mouth was warm and firm on hers. 
He lifted her just slightly and tilted his head just a little so his lips rubbed hers, a seductive tease, and his hands cruised down her body to add an unexpected punch of heat. She felt the breeze flutter against her cheeks and heard the blast of music as someone turned the stereo up to screaming in, and when the hard line had been thrust against her, she realized she'd been the one to move in. The long liquid tugs deep in her belly warned her, but still she shot her fingers through that thick, sun-streaked hair and let his hands roam. He meant to suggest for the kiss, to tease a smile or a frown out of her so he could have the pleasure of watching either expression move over her face. He only intended to skim the surface, perhaps to show them both hints of what could lie beneath, but when she leaned into him, locked around him, he sank. Women were a dazzling array of colors for him. Mother, sister, lover, friend, but he never had another woman strike him with such brilliance. He wanted to steep in it, in her, until they were both drenched. Let me come home to you, so he skimmed his lips over her cheek, down to her throat, back up, and along with finger brush and dictation in her chin, and to lie. Let me lie down with you. Be with you. Let me touch you. She shook her head. She didn't like speed. She reminded herself a smart woman that returned the corner till she looked at the map from the entire route. And even then, she went forward only to caution. I'm not impulsive, Seth. I'm not rash. She put her hands on his shoulders to nudge him away, but her gaze was direct. I don't share myself with a man just because they're seats. Okay. He pressed his lips to her forehead before he stepped back. Stay, we'll play some ball, maybe go for a sale, we'll keep it simple today. With some men, the suggestion would have been just another ploy to persuade her into bed, but she didn't sense that with him. He meant what he said, and decided, and she decided, I might actually like you after all. I'm counting on it, but I can't say, there's a number of things I've done to come by, and I've stayed much longer than I intended. Did you ever ditch school? No. He braced the hand on the car door before she could open it, and his face was sincerely shocked. Not once. <laughs> Afraid not. A rule player. He considered sexy. She laughed. If I said I'd skip school once a week, you would have called me a rebel and said that was sexy. Got me. How about dinner tomorrow night? No. She waved him away from the car door. I need to think about this. I don't want to be interested in you. Which means you are. She slid behind the wheel, which means I don't want to be. I'll let you know if I change my mind. Go back to your family. You're lucky to have them. She said, then closed the car door. He watched her back out and drive away. His blood was still warm from the kiss, and his mind too full of her and the possibility from, for him to take notice of the car that eased from the shoulder of the road by the trees, then followed after Drew's. End of chapter four. I don't know. That's a long ass chapter. <laughs>